everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is another of the 12 days of the Comic Source episodes as we're counting down to Christmas. So I want to wish everybody happy holidays. Hope you're getting time to enjoy the season. I know uh, there's a lot of busy hustle and bustle at this time. And uh, my guest today and I were just chatting about that. Returning to the show is writer Stephanie Phillips. Steph, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me back. Yeah, it's always great to chat. Uh, it's been a busy year, exciting year. Uh, I think we had you on in May when Grimm first dropped from Boom, or the first issue was about to drop. So we'll certainly mm-hmm. touch on that. But you teased at the time that there were a couple of big announcements coming. Uh, we now know that you're writing Cosmic Ghost Rider over at Marvel <laughs> and also a, a Rogan Gambit series. So let's start with Cosmic Ghost Rider. What's <laughs> yeah. your, how do you relate to that character? I mean, you know, first of all, if people don't realize, it's he's kind of a herald of, of Galactus. There's some ties to Ghost Rider. It was Frank Castle. There's some hints that maybe that's not the case this time. What can you tell us? Yeah, um, I was kind of surprised to get asked to do this character. <laughs> um, I Initially, I was like, oh, that doesn't really seem like something that I would write or be asked to write. Um, and I usually tend to stay away from cosmic stuff and this has cosmic like literally in the title right um and then you know the more i talked to the editor about kind of the direction they wanted to take the character and i was like oh i like i get why you asked me they they really wanted to do uh something a little bit more grounded and serious like keeping the character with his same level of humor which is something i love to write especially coming off of harley getting to kind of do another character that has this like wit and charisma is a ton of fun um but give him kind of a backdrop that's slightly more serious and set in the marvel cosmic universe uh which has been really fun to kind of explore and play with and uh they were really game for like guests that i wanted to bring into the issue um so getting to kind of bring in some cool guest characters that I was like, I kind of want to see Frank Castle like relate and work with this person, or I want to see Frank Castle like fight this person. Um, So I don't think I can like say too much about who they are, but uh, I do get to bring in a character that Howard Jakin created that I don't think I've seen in Marvel comics in a while. Um, And so when I was, when that was approved, I like texted Howard and I was like, I'm writing this. And he was like, it, it like took him a minute. He was like, who? And I was like, oh, good. Um, so I, I uh, it was kind of nice. There was something I wanted to know about the character. And I was like, hey, can you like tell me this? And uh, uh, it was kind of cool for him to be like, you know, do your own take on on what you're doing with, with this. Um, but yeah, I got a lot of kind of free reign to do some of the stuff in the cosmic world. Um, there's kind of a, a set piece that I would say starts a little like a space Western, which it's me. And I think any editor that's ever worked with me knows that I'm going to say Western at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Immediately uh, editorial was like really game to try this. Um, It gets a lot bigger from there as we kind of like explode the story that he's taking part in. Um, But it kind of starts a little like a Western. We have some kind of cool, cool shots um, that look very much like they're, put together by like Ford or something. So um, yeah. And, and uh, Juan Cabal who's working on it with me has really done an incredible job with it. Yeah. Juan is a, a fantastic artist. And that that's another thing about Cosmic Ghost Rider. He's so striking visually and, you know, Donnie Cates certainly put his mark on the character, you know, um, you know, ba- basically created him and, and kind of gave him his, his personality, you know, even though it, it is Frank Castle and there's something, you know, established there, you know, he really evolved him and he's so much uh, a different character and, and not necessarily f- feeling derivative from the Punisher. And Donnie's got like a rabid fan base and and that was his thing. And that's great. 
any nervousness or, or pressure from fans? Because this does sound like it's going to be a little bit of a, a different take on the character. Um, I mean, not really. Uh, I mean, that goes with any character. I think somebody's going to be mad at some point. And um, I mean, I've had people say that about everything I write. And my favorite was kind of like someone that at some point didn't like a Batman story I wrote. And they were like, oh, Penguin wouldn't do this. Yeah, but yeah. he would because I wrote it and it was right. published in a DC comic and there it is. Uh, so, you know, when you write Penguin, you can have him do something different. Um, but I mean, I think that's really cool uh, on the part of Marvel that they're bringing in, um, you know, I think I'm a pretty different writer from Donnie. So bringing somebody in to kind of keep, I, I absolutely want to keep in line with how Donnie created his personality. I think that's great and a lot of fun to play with. Um, but, you know, being asked to give him kind of this more serious backdrop has been, um, uh, while still getting to say like, oh, well, it's still Cosmic Ghostwriter, so you can still do these like really kind of fun and quirky things with him that maybe you couldn't with other Cosmic characters that do lean very serious. So um, I think it's been a really cool uh, balancing act between all of those things that we're doing with it. And it's really different for me. And I like that, like coming out of some very grounded characters. Um, yeah, I really enjoy getting to write things where it's like we can pull from really pre-existing the cosmic Marvel universe. And we can also just create new things in space, like new kinds of aliens and planets and stuff. And I think that's part of the fun of doing something cosmic. Yeah, a lot of uh, creative freedom there. And you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of your work. I think I read just about everything you you write. And he's not, Cosmic Ghost Rider is not a character I would necessarily, you know, <laughs> wouldn't be a first one that would come yeah. to mind for you to write. But you're 100% correct in Marvel, you know, understanding why Marvel chose you. Because yeah, you can be a bridge to do, you know, something more grounded, as you said, because Donnie's stuff is completely over the top. His stuff often is, and that's what's great about it. Um, but if you want to ground the character and make him a little more relatable, you know, that's kind of right in your in your wheelhouse. So I'm really curious to see how it all plays out. And I'm a, I'm a Ghost Rider fan from, you know, way back in the Johnny Blaze days. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm real curious. Um, well, I did mention the other Marvel title you have uh, coming, I think it's in March of next year, is the, uh, the Gambit and Rogue. So, is Gambit your your favorite X-Men? Not not to put you on the spot, but you know, what's your in uh with Gambit? Um, actually Rogue is. Uh okay. so I uh when I was offered the series, uh it was really an easy thing to say yes to Rogue. Um as a kid, I remember liking Gambit because of the X-Men arcade games. I was really good at controlling Gambit. <laughs> gotcha. Um and so I don't think it was a while before I ever read a Gambit comic, but I remember that like the, those arcade games, I thought Gambit was like the coolest thing ever. And then I joined like X-Men discourse and people like hate Gambit. <laughs> I'm like, oh, uh, poor, poor Gambit. Uh, he's really fun to write though. I, I absolutely adore writing Remy. Uh, he's, uh, he's kind of a bastard and like getting to play into that side where um, I get to do a love story uh, kind of coming into the series uh, where Rogue and Gambit were at in the main X-Men line. They were having some issues in terms of like Rogue being on the X-Men team. Gambit wasn't uh, really some misconnections going on in the marriage. And so coming into the, the mini series, like that's where Rogue and Gambit were at. So I'm kind of taking that as a bit of a launching launching pad to doing a love story with with them. Um, I think some of that banter is really key to their relationship anyways, which uh, it's like foreplay for them, which is really fun to kind of write. Um, yeah, they, they're they really, uh, 
again i'm doing a lot of cool stuff with the marvel universe like getting to pull in a lot of cool characters like each issue kind of having a key uh featured guest of the issue or something like that so you'll see a lot of other really cool faces from the marvel universe that i'm like uh, thrilled to be writing yeah i mean rogue obviously not a founding member of of the x-men but certainly has been a member for a you know, long long time since the mid 80s and people almost I think especially newer readers, you know, they make that assumption that she's been there from the beginning. Gambit a little newer. And, you know, you mentioned their relationship and him being a bastard. And, and that's what's what I enjoy about him. He's so unapologetically who he is. He knows he's a jerk and and that's just who he is. And he he's comfortable in his own skin. He is different with Rogue than he is with anyone else. You know, he doesn't relate to her in the same way. He's a little softer. Um, it's kind of like she's the exception to his jerkness, if you will. Um, <laughs> is is that something as you were saying that you that you like to play with that 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 relationship and getting to show a softer side of Gambit? Yeah, I I do like that a lot. I really like writing love stories in superhero universes. I I feel like I will jump at that any chance I get. It was the first thing I ever did for DC was a wildcat love story. And I like the characters that you don't expect to have love stories. So even though they are a married couple and we've had them as an established couple in the Marvel universe for a while, uh, I kind of want to show a different side of that relationship while still paying homage to like the early days of them. We get some flashbacks of, of some of their first moments together and things like that. Um, while also giving them like a very serious time sensitive mission that they have to complete that will take both of their skill sets. It does require Remy to be a bastard to, to save the day. He has to do things that are probably going to be questionable, especially to rogue who's just coming off of being on the X. And so for her looking at this person, she married being like, I know that that had to be done, but Oh my God, you did that. <laughs> like, right. is, uh, you know, I think going to really test them, and also show how really integral they are to some upcoming stuff in the X universe. So I think that's- So is that's it, are, are these, are both these series limited? Do we do we know how many issues? Um, I don't know for Cosmic Ghost Rider, actually. That's, <laughs> um, I do know that Cos the first issue of Cosmic Ghost Rider has been extended to include uh, an extra story that I'm writing for it. I'm really excited about that. Um, Rogan Gambit is five issues though. I do know that that one's limited. And you're saying it leads into to something else. Will that something else? Can you do you know or can you say is it something a story point that brings in uh, the wider X Men universe? It, it will bring in um, the wider X Men universe. So uh, there's a lot of a lot of build up in the X office to some stuff coming that's very cool. Um, and yeah, this will kind of be a, a launch for Rogue and Gambit, uh, playing a really integral part in stuff that's coming for the X Men. And uh, yeah, so it'll it'll lead into some big stuff, but. I do have to say that I wanted to make the series really accessible and so a, still be a standalone series where if you just want to read a Rogue and Gambit book, I'm pretty sure you can. <laughs> I tried to look at it from the standpoint of like, if I didn't know any of the stuff that I've heard in the X office, like, can we still make this really accessible to, to somebody new or maybe my readers from Harley that want to come over and read Rogue and Gambit? Um, so that was a really uh, big goal for me. And do we know who the artist on the series is yet? I don't know that I've heard. Yes, Carlos uh, Gomez. Oh, that's right. Yep. Now yeah. that you now that you say it, yeah, another fantastic veteran uh, Marvel artist. So, um, and here's the other thing: these these two series, you have a character that's relatively new, and then you have these well-established characters. In terms of 
visually breaking down the story, any differences there? I mean, people sort of expect Rogue and Gamma to look a, a certain way as opposed to Cosmic Ghost Rider where it's a little more fluid. Any differences there from your standpoint? Um, Rogue and Gambit really using those established costumes. Uh, we do play with a little bit more stuff in Cosmic Ghost Rider, um, at least in this kind of opening arc that we're doing. There's a little bit of playing with the outfit. Uh, it's still cosmic ghost rider but there's there's a narrative purpose for changes to the outfit and juan did a really cool job with that so i'm excited to i'm excited to see that uh, in colors and stuff as those get printed yeah that's uh, that's really cool as i mentioned so happy for you when i found out you were doing work at marvel you know you've been at, at dc for a while obviously you've been doing independent stuff but before that your harley run is getting ready to to finish up so looking back to two plus years on on Harley Quinn, I remember when it first got announced, how excited you were. Are you able? I mean, it's not quite over yet. All the issues, you may have finished writing everything, but all the issues haven't dropped. You haven't gotten fan reaction. Do you have the perspective yet to look back on the whole thing and and give your thoughts on it? Or is it still too fresh? Uh, I don't have that perspective, but I'm not sure that I ever will. I never look at anything that I've written again. <laughs> Every box of comps is unopened which is um unless my mom comes over and wants something and opens it uh other than that it is a wall of brown boxes <laughs> um uh, i don't know i feel really uncomfortable looking at it um other than you know thinking about the things i've done in the past in terms of like framing a story or something and wanting to be better in the next issue i get to write which is always the best part of comics which is like i get another chance on the next issue or in the next month um, to improve on something that maybe I wasn't 100% happy with. And I'm probably my biggest critic, like, sorry to Twitter and people that want to yell at me there, but like, <laughs> you won't say anything worse than what I've said to myself. Um, and so, yeah, I don't really look at it. So I'm not sure if or when that kind of perspective would come. But, you know, for me, it's kind of just like on to the next thing, which is really focusing on Rogue and Gambit and um, some new creator owned stuff that I'm like kind of in the thick of at the moment. And of course, Grimm, which is which is also ongoing. And um, yeah, people seem to really like Grimm and we get to keep telling it. So uh, a lot of focus is on that right now. Yeah, I want to I want to talk about that. Um, but I, I do find that interesting. That, and I've heard writers that say this, they, they don't go back and look at their own work because it's one of those things, especially artists, they're like, if I go back and look at it, all I see is what's wrong, you know, or they talk about at some point, uh, like Liam Sharp has told me this, uh, you know, a bunch of times at some point he has to kind of give himself his own uh, deadline to stop working on a panel or a page. Cause otherwise you can keep noodling, you know, with it forever. It's never going to be, you know, perfect as you envision it in your mind. So I can see that I could also see, and I've heard this from some writers, they don't want to repeat themselves so they don't go back and read their own stuff. So any truth to that, not wanting to be derivative of your own previous work? Maybe, but I mean, I think there's also a lot of similarities and stuff I write, like whether it's Cosmic Ghost Rider and we're in space. Uh, there are definitely things that I gravitate towards that I want to talk about and I want to look at. Um, and I think those things come through in my writing, even when I'm not trying to, because right. that's just who I who I am. Um, but the great part about getting to take on new characters is like my job as a writer is to get into the head of somebody that I like, I'm very clearly not Frank Castle. I have not murdered people and been a Herald of Galactus or like any of that. So, um, trying to get into those perspectives is really fun while also getting to then bring the things that I think interest me in a story, um, 
and I've had fans find all of the Bruce Springsteen references that are like peppered throughout Harley Quinn. It's like, I mean, of course I did that. Of course, volume two of Grimm is called Devils and Dust. Like, I can't change who I am. But right. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think at this point, I kind of just lean into that. Uh, and I've gotten, I think, just a lot more confident in, in saying like, I kind of know what my voice is now, though tomorrow that'll change when I'm like, oh, I'm going to write this character that I've never thought about writing. And like, I think Cosmic Ghost Rider tests that quite a bit because that's not a character I ever envisioned writing. So, um, yeah, but that's that's the fun of this job. Yeah, well, I think as a writer, you have to keep evolving. To, you know, you keep keep learning, you keep living, you keep experiencing. And then that, you know, that comes through in the writing. So, well, I certainly hope that we haven't seen the last of uh of your stuff over at DC. But when I was looking over your work for the last couple of years, other than Grimm, it's been a little bit less on the, the creator on. So I'm happy to hear that you have some, um, some yeah. projects that are uh, moving along. Yeah, I've got a lot. <laughs> it's, uh, it's going to be packed. There are five new creator owned books. Um, uh, along with Grimm and um, another potential project that I will be co-writing sometime in the in the future that's in the very early stages. So um, really kind of leaning into some creator-owned stuff, uh, though a conversation I kind of had with Marvel is like, this is, I love superheroes. I gravitated towards comics because I love superheroes and I never want to lose that. Um, but I just, I think creator-owned is in a really cool place right now. Like these books are able to take off in a way that maybe they weren't previously uh readers really want that i think it's easier to get into these new series like pick up a grim number one i think that's a little easier to do than tomorrow say like i want to go read batman or x-men or something like there's even a challenge for somebody that works in this industry uh that sometimes i'm like whoa like who are the people that you just mentioned and there's 500 new mutants and like uh 10 new batman villains or something and i'm like i who (laughs) um you know thankfully wikipedia but um like i get that that's difficult especially as i think new readership is growing which is really cool i have some friends that own a comic shop and they are constantly talking about like increasing new readership and they do an incredible job of it, but it's all indie based. And I just love seeing that stuff flourish with someone like, uh, you know, James Tynan, uh, Rom's work has been great in that area too. Um, so yeah, I think there's a ton of really good creator owned. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure mine will rise to that caliber, but I'm going to be putting out a lot of it. So we'll see. Well, based on your track record, I'd say it's going to be quality stuff. Now these five series, that, uh, that's not all at one publisher. It's going to be across uh, a variety. It, is all at one time. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, this has like been a years in the making kind of thing. Uh, like five artists, five series, one publisher, uh, all under kind of my own umbrella of books that gotcha. I've created. Um, it's, well, it sounds like smart, yeah. smart business decision to me to get into the Stephanie Phillips business. So whoever it is, <laughs> good, good choice. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's been a really, really big deal, but also just very time consuming. But um, yeah, I'm seeing pages come back. Um, I, I mean, I think we talked about it a little online, but uh, we did tease that one project is with artist Connor Boyle, um, who's just doing incredible work on a horror series that we're doing together. Um, so yeah, it's going to be five pretty different things, but there's going to be some connective tissue as like, we kind of created this giant umbrella of just projects. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, it's been fun. Well, you mentioned, uh, dropping references, Bruce Springsteen and whatnot in your Harley Quinn run. Uh, we've had six issues, five issues of Grimm so far. 
music has played yeah. an interesting role in in that right right from the first page with uh blue oyster cult don't fear the reaper um and i i i hadn't i'd read each issue as it came out but i hadn't read everything in one sitting and i did it over the weekend knowing that we were going to chat and that's what it really struck me how much music really plays a role in in the book and to me that's kind of your personality coming through mm-hmm. so how much of you is in this book? I mean, is this the most personal thing you've ever done? Uh, I actually don't know that it's that personal other than like the music, um, the voice coming through. I think Harley actually got into some more personal stuff mm. than, than maybe Grimm did, um, you know, kind of once I found Harley's voice. Uh, but Jessica is far more reserved than I think I am. Uh, I would maybe put myself more in the the like verbal Harley camp. Um but uh, the music, Eddie, kind of having that all blend together, uh, it was honestly getting those first few pages back from the letterer, Tom, who does an incredible job. And the way that he embedded the music, like almost into the artwork, I was like, I think this is a thing we need to keep doing. Like it just, there, there's a really cool fit here. Um, and it's just kept coming back and having Eddie as a, a musician and you know, we'll have issues later that get far more into Eddie's backstory. Same with Marcel. Um, but kind of having that person that's a musician that helps bring it in a lot. And then having Tom just nail it with like how the um, music forms to the page. And that's always been a concern of mine that I don't think music looks very good in a comic because mm-hmm. unless the reader really knows the song, which Blue Oyster Cult fits, because I think everybody can kind of sing that to themselves. But unless it, it, is something really universally well known. I think it's a little difficult to read in the comic and it kind of looks clunky to me. Um, but Tom killed it. He did like a, found a really cool way to make that happen. I was like, okay, I can see how we can continue, uh, bringing in music that will kind of mirror the emotions. Um, especially since Jessica is such a quiet character, having the music be something that she's relating to, uh, I thought was kind of a cool buffer. Like, you know, we have a lot of characters that, uh, like the the quiet, surly characters that put up walls. And I think the thing that kind of lets you see behind her wall is the music and the music choice of what she's listening to. So um, whenever music appears, it's something that's been very heavily thought about, about what's appearing. Uh, and so far, no cease and desist letters. That's good. It helps if you have a certain generation too, because yeah, I mean, at Blue Oyster Cold, uh, when Eddie's serenading the the girl in the, kind of the file yeah. area with with uh, Chicago, yeah, those ones really for me those were the two that really stood out. As soon as I read like three words, I'm like, I know that lyric. So <laughs> I don't know if that dates right. me uh, or not, but but you well, mentioned apparently it dates me in a weird way that it shouldn't. <laughs> like I I don't know I mentioned things that uh, people are like who or you know I was just at Thanksgiving with I have cousins that are teenagers uh, and something about meatloaf came up and. They were just very confused. And I was like, oh, okay. I definitely knew who meat, like I was obsessed with meatloaf at right. your age. Like, what? <laughs> okay. Yeah. How do you not know? I mean, haven't you seen Fight Club? Come on. You've seen, <laughs> what, what, yeah. What else was he in? Um, the Spice uh, World movie. Yeah. The Spice. Um, he was the bus Rocky, driver. Wasn't he in Rocky Horror? Horror? Is yes, he in Rocky he Horror Picture Eddie. Show? Yep. He's Eddie in uh, yeah. Rocky Horror. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> Anyway, not to disparage your, your cousins, but yeah, maybe have a little work to do introducing <laughs> them to, to c- certain cultural touchstones. Uh, but you mentioned earlier the kind of the success of Grimm. It seems like your fan base is really responding to it. 
it's it's selling really well. In fact, just the other day, I bought I think it, like a fourth or fifth printing of the the main yeah. cover that's foil by uh, Flaviano, which I thought was awesome. I'm like, I already have like I think four or five different variants, but I got to get this one. It's foil. Uh, that's amazing <laughs> that there's still the the demand. People are still d- discovering it. Um, so how has the the fan reaction been? Has it been almost universally positive? Has it been kind of gratifying to to have this out there and have it do so well? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm pretty surprised by it. Like when I got the numbers back from Boom and like we found out that issue one has sold over 100,000 copies, like that's an indie book. And I compare that to, you know, some of my my other indie numbers and it's like, whoa, <laughs> like that's, uh, I mean, that's like, you know, DC Marvel numbers. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's not something I've seen on creator owned. Um, So I'm glad something about it resonated. And I think a lot of that is actually visual. Like I I really think Flaviano's visuals like really hit a mark uh, because they're so appealing and so like eye candy and how Jessica looks and all of the characters and these designs and the way that that world is visually is I think incredibly inviting. And that's so much to do with Flaviano and the way that he just kind of came in. And, um, you know, I remember kind of telling him about the idea a little bit and uh, getting on a call with him in the very first, I think it was like zoom or Skype call we had. And in the chat box, he was already just dropping so many designs um, that, you know, maybe at some point in like a big omnibus or something, we can show off all the things that weren't used because it's it's extensive, the amount of work that went into like the visual iconography of this book. And I think that that's, that's special because it's a comic book. It's a, it's a visual medium. And to have that play such an integral part of the book and see fans really respond to that, it's like, Exactly. I mean, that's that's a cool part of this. And that's, you know, something that uh, Rico on colors and Flaviano are really doing. And even Tom, like, they, you know, he's doing an amazing job with lettering, but the lettering is different. Like it's unique. It's a part of the page uh, and it's it's all working together in a way that it's exciting when I get pages back and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> this is this is special. And every issue that I've seen from Flaviano like, you know, six and seven and eight as they're coming in, I'm like, this is the best thing he's done. And then I get another page. I'm like, that's the best thing he's done. Nope, nope. Tomorrow I'm going to change my mind. And that's the best thing he's done. So um, it's really cool to kind of see us get that runway to learn to work together because after five issues, I think you're kind of just like warming up. Um, So to know that we have that ongoing thing so that we can try some different stuff together has been, has been really gratifying. Yeah, I think uh, the fun that you guys are having on the series really kind of comes through. It's it's so obvious, um, and I, I think you know, yeah, credit to the to the visual team for creating this unique looking world and with bright, vibrant colors. And, and you're right uh, about the lettering. Uh, we meet Jessica's dad. No spoilers, but we meet Jessica's dad, and that ties into you know who she is and kind of the mystery of her that, that we find out about in the first issue. Um, but, you know, different kind of fonts for different people when they're talking and it all it all works really, really well. But I I want to give you a little bit of credit in that. I think the pacing and the tone of the series that you set with the script really allows them to do their best. Right. I mean, this is in essentially a story about Grim Reapers, about death, about dying. It could be morose. It could be super scary. You know, it could be totally leaning into the horror genres that can be sometimes um, off-putting because it engenders art that's a little bit muddy or dark. And that's not this book at all. This book is bright and vibrant. And I would argue it's more, even though it's called grim, 
And about Grim Reapers, it's more a celebration of, of life and identity and who you are and Jessica discovering that in the first arc. I have no idea where you guys go from here, but I can't wait to to find out. So there's so much more than meets the eye to this series. And I think that's what people are responding to and why people keep, you know, they'll pick up uh, an issue, maybe two or three and flip through and be like, oh, I got to go back and get one and read from the start. And word of mouth, as you know, in comics is everything. Yeah. Absolutely. And and again, knowing how much room we have, like having things planned out through, I think, currently issue 15 uh, means that like we're seeding things at issue, I don't know, like six and seven that will pay off in issue 13 or things like that. Like we know how far ahead that we're going to be working and knowing that we have that gets to change the pace a little bit. Like we're not trying to cram things into you know, the five issues. And at times like, you know, boom has been incredible. Like there are times where we're like, if we had two more pages, this issue would be better. And they're like, okay, you have two more pages, <laughs> like easy, done. And it's like, wow, that's, that's awesome. That's, um, you know, it's, it's a perfect storm. Uh, everybody, you know, trying, absolutely trying to do their best, but also having a publisher that's backing that like 1000%, um, you know, a publisher that's going out and getting the best cover artists supporting this book uh, in a way that i I really haven't seen uh, somebody do this. And this has been a really great experience. Like, you know, I think a lot of that success is due in part to how much the editorial team was just like believing in this project. That sounds so cheesy, but I mean it like from, from day one, the very first phone conversation I had with the editor on this book, uh, Eric Harburn, uh, I mean, he was invested just from a phone conversation, like 1000% in, and that's never changed, never wavered. Um, and that's that's been a really nice experience. Yeah, and again, credit to to Boom for you know recognizing that this was a, a, a series, a story that would resonate with people. Because that's the thing that I keep going back to um, is just that sense of identity that Jessica doesn't have when the series first started. First of all, it's it's a compelling mystery, but that mystery that um, that plot point it doesn't affect her relationships with with Marcel and Eddie. And I think the, the, their relationship, the three of those core characters, their relationship, it's something so refreshing because it seems relatable. They give each other a hard time, but at the end of the day, you can see how much they care about each other and, and kind of would self-sacrifice for each other. And I think that's something that resonates with a lot of people as well. Yeah. I, I love, I, I hate to call them a supporting cast because especially coming up, you know, again, having the room to say like, here's Eddie's issue and here's Marcel so we can really get into them deeper. Uh, they're not just supporting characters. And that's something that I think, uh, you know, we did, uh, Flaviano really did a great job with saying like, here's what they look like and here's how expressive Eddie is. And at times the like logical reserved Marcel um, and that's about to get really tested. Uh, we have a kind of big arc coming up with him. So I'm, I'm excited to, to get into that. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you, listeners, if you haven't read Grimm, you need to go and read it right now. So the, the next issue, the next arc starts in a couple of weeks, December 14th. So you have uh, a little time. Well, I guess as this is being released, it, the, the next arc has just started. So go pick up the first five issues, jump on issue six, which comes out December 14th. Um, you're really missing out if you weren't uh, you weren't checking out this book. So uh, again, Steph, congratulations on the, the success of Grimm. I'm very curious about mm -hmm. which publisher and, and what we're going to see. Uh, under this umbrella you were talking about coming up. Um, but I do, before I let you go, I do want to talk a little bit. It is the Christmas season. Any holiday traditions in the Phillips household? I mean, you're down there in, in Florida. I grew up in Tampa, so it's not exactly 
a white Christmas kind of thing. You guys have Christmas at the beach. Like, what what, what are some of your your favorite Christmas memories from growing up? Um, my family's Jewish, uh, but uh, my mom, who is Jewish, uh, loves Christmas trees. <laughs> um, she never made us call it a Hanukkah bush, thankfully. Uh, but she's very big on putting up a tree and decorating it. Uh, and uh, yeah, she makes an incredible, um, hot, like the first night of Hanukkah, she usually makes a big meal for everyone. Um, and then on Christmas, it seems so like so Jewish, but we always get the same Chinese takeout. It's like our favorite thing with everyone, including the extended family. Um, and we still do like some gifts and stuff um, with uh, with some extended family. And yeah, um, so next week I'm going to Chicago. Uh, my partner and I are going to go see the Christmas tree in New York as well. So um potentially a new holiday tradition unless we both get to time or where where is the tree not times square yes rockefeller unless we get there we're like man there are so many people and we don't like people and this is the first and last time for this tradition (laughs) but uh but we're gonna give it a shot and we'll go see the tree there and train millennium park uh in chicago so yeah. yeah i've always wanted to go see either the yeah the lighting at rockefeller center i think they do one at lincoln center as well but I'm kind of the same way. I'm like, God, I, the crowds, like I, the whole uh, ball dropping on New Year's, I could never do. Like, yeah. I hear people, you got to stand there for like 12 hours. People wear a diaper. I'm like, why? Why would you subject yourself <laughs> so to that? gross. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Christmas is a big deal around here. So I'm glad you get kind of the whole hybrid Hanukkah Christmas kind of thing. That's really fun. Yeah. Uh, kind of multicultural and uh, and diverse. So uh, again, it's great chatting with you as always. I look forward, as I said, to the announcement for these um, these creator owns. We'll have to have you back on to uh, to talk about them. If they all could do a hundred thousand uh, for the first issues, I mean that would be amazing. I don't figures crossed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, from the first time I had you on, I was a fan of your work. I continue to be. It's so great to see the success that you've had. So. Um, thanks again for, for taking the time. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me on and happy holidays. Yeah. Uh, and happy holidays to all you listeners. Uh, do you want to let them know where's the best place? I know Twitter is kind of, and these days, are you still active there? Yeah. Where's the best place if people want to, want to follow you? Um, man, I don't know what social media, uh, is still up and running anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I've kind of migrated mostly to Instagram, uh, at snap crackle stuff, like the cereal. Gotcha. I'll put a link to Steph's Instagram in the show notes, everybody, so you can go click there and follow. So uh, again, happy holidays, Stephanie. Thanks so much for taking the time and we'll talk soon. Yeah, thank you. And to you listeners, once again, happy holidays. Hope you all have a safe and joyous holiday season. Thanks for your support as always, and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.